Jesus continuing, he says there, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes... You may remember that I told you of them and these things I did not say at the beginning because I was with you. And Father, we humbly ask this morning as always, just help us now. We want to continue in worship towards you as we open the word of God and just render our heart to you uh, to give you attention to hear what the voice of your spirit would say to us through this portion of your scripture that you have inspired and given to us for our understanding and instruction. And Lord, even as we look at a passage like this and the intensity of what you describe, Lord, the hatred, the animosity, we just pray that your spirit would make us sensitive to hear what it is out of this text that you would say to us. Please teach us, Lord, as always, we don't want to hear wiser, persuasive words of a man. We want to experience that demonstration of your spirit and power speaking to each one of our hearts this morning. Bless your word, we ask expectantly in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, I don't think there is, but if you could have a job description, perhaps briefly written out for being a follower of Christ, it probably would have included in there a line that would say something along the lines of this. Cowards and crowd pleasers need not apply. Cowards and crowd pleasers need not apply. You know, following Jesus is not for cowardly people. It's not for weak-willed individuals. It's not for those who need acceptance. It is for those, honestly, who have courage to honor commitment. And I think the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach this morning in this passage is exactly along those lines. Remember, because it's important, as we're in this sort of upper room teaching of Jesus now a few hours before he dies, we saw last time in chapter 15 where there Jesus was really emphasizing repeatedly uh, our spiritual obligation as believers, followers of Christ, that we have a spiritual obligation to love one another. 
among the spiritual family, among the family of God. And one reason I think we see here now why it is so important for us to love one another as fellow believers is because of the reality of the ongoing hostility against us from the world system, which is only going to get worse and worse and worse. And it's interesting that in contrast, Jesus speaks so much about loving one another and then he turns right perhaps to the very main reason why we need to love one another is to learn to band together to support and uphold one another for surviving and navigating the hostility and the animosity that we are going to experience in the world as we seek to follow Christ. Look with me again back in verse 18 where Jesus continues our passage this morning. He says in verse 18, if the world hates you you know that it hated me before it hated you if you were of the world the world would love its own yet because you are not of the world because i chose you out of the world therefore the world hates you so jesus indicates here to his followers that hatred from the world will be experienced and therefore it really should be expected he states two times here verse 18 and 19 we read it because you're my followers, he says in both verses, because of that, the world hates you. That this is the reason for that. Now, when Jesus uses the term here, the world, again, remember, that's a reference to the world system. It's a reference to basically how society in general thinks, the way humanity operates, the system of the world that's in operation, the ideologies, the moral standards of the unsaved world, fallen and sinful in their condition, the world system that basically has rejected God, has chosen to not want God's authority over their lives or God's word to guide their ways, a world system that is exalting their ways above God. And really, the Bible teaches it is a world system that exists and is in operation that is under the invisible sway of satanic influence because of the fallen condition of this world. There is a spiritual current that runs through the system of the world, its ideologies, its mentality, its ways, its methods, its morals that is being persuaded by the devil himself. And the result of that, Jesus says, therefore, the world, that system, it hates me. And therefore, it's going to hate you for representing me. Now, most of us know what the word hate means. It's a reference to intense hostility, to extreme dislike, for, for animosity in a very intense manner towards someone. And Jesus says, my follower, don't be surprised, don't be shocked to discover that the world, therefore, is going to hate you. As a Christian, it is a spiritual fact. It is just a reality that we need to accept and embrace that we are going to experience hostility in this current world system. This is a part of what's on the menu. Because of who we represent and what we believe, there are going to be those who dislike you simply because of your connection to Jesus. And that is the only reason. But they will find dislike and displeasure toward you when it becomes evident that you're a follower of Jesus and it becomes evident that you actually believe this book. There are going to be people who, because of that, are going to feel animosity within towards you. They're going to hold and express hostility. And Jesus here offers some counsel in these verses this morning to kind of help us process and navigate that as his followers. 
One point I think he makes here clearly in verse 18, which helps to navigate that animosity and hatred, is I think in verse 18, Jesus is trying to say there, don't take the hostility and the animosity personally. Because really, it's not directed towards you specifically. You see what he says there in verse 18? Look at it. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Jesus is saying, look, don't take this too personal. That's going to really stumble you. He's saying, recognize that the hatred, the animosity, it's really pointed not at you, but it's actually pointed at me. Jesus said in John chapter 7, the world hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Jesus says, remember, the world hated me first before it ever began hating you. And it's important that we realize that the hatred was aimed first and foremost at Jesus himself. And why? Because Jesus came and was the light of the world and shined his light into the darkness and therefore light irritates, it annoys those who want to remain in the darkness. Jesus said all the way back in chapter 3 of John's gospel, we read it there, he said this, light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come into the light lest his deeds should be exposed. And Jesus' disciples had seen as they walked with him and lived with him, although he was kind and compassionate and feeding people and healing people and helping people, yet there were many people who had extreme dislike and anger and animosity towards Jesus. And typically it was those individuals who Jesus' life and the truth that he spoke and what he represented, he exposed the dark ways that they were involved in or the practices of evil. And they didn't like that because they wanted to continue in the darkness and as Jesus would then depart as he's about to die very shortly and he's about to resurrect and ascend back into heaven from whence he originally came now as Jesus's spirit and his life would continue to be lived out among his followers that hatred is just going to be channeled and redirected towards his disciples now towards you and I as his followers and Jesus wanted to remember the real source of hatred was him not them that he was the real source of hatred and really it's a carryover hatred because of that initial hatred towards jesus and let me say by way of application for you and i this morning as followers of jesus that's helpful to remember it's very helpful because it will keep you and i as a follower of jesus not taking it to heart so much when we're mistreated or persecuted or disliked or hated in this world because we're a representative or a follower of Christ or someone who believes the Bible. Because if we take it too personally, we're going to be tempted to make mistakes in response to it. Either we're going to get overly discouraged and our feelings hurt or we're going to get overly angry and we're going to get defensive about it because we're going to take it too personal. And Jesus says, remember who the hatred is towards. It's towards me. It's not really towards you. You just represent me. And to help remember that really helps process it and respond correctly. A second thing I think we notice from verse 19 is that the reason the world hates you, hates me as a follower of Christ, is very simply just because we're different. And because we're different, we cause this 
animosity to be stirred up. Jesus says there in verse 19, if you were of the world, a part of its system still doing all that it does, the way that it does, the world would love its own. Yet because he says you are not of the world, you're in it, but you're not of the world system, if you would, anymore. He says, but I chose you out of that world system. Therefore, because of that now, you're different, he says, and the world hates you. Again, people don't like, we would all agree, right? People don't like when things are different than them. This is where a lot of prejudice comes from and, you know, these kind of issues that result in, you know, you know, racial tensions and ethnic tensions and political tensions. People just don't like what's different and they don't like what they can't understand. So when people don't like what's different or they can't understand, a lot of times if someone doesn't think the way they do or act the way they act, as a result of that, people get very agitated rather quickly. And a lot of this stems from that. Listen, people love conformists. That's what people love. People love crowd followers. But when you want to represent something different or if you just are different in general and someone is not willing to take the time to understand why you're different and actually have what's true tolerance which means that you can be who you are but you also need to give me the freedom to be who i am see our our world knows nothing of true tolerance our world screams tolerance 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 and tolerance is we'll tolerate you if you think like we do we'll tolerate you if you accept all the changes we want morally that's not true tolerance tolerance is okay i may not agree with the way that you want to live and and i have the freedom to express that but you also need to give me the freedom to be who I want to be morally and spiritually and and you need to tolerate me too. And see, Jesus emphasizes here that though we live in this world, we're no longer of this world. He says, I chose you out of it. I called you out of the participation that you once were in that world system. But now he says, you're very different because you're not of the world. And he says, therefore, that is why the world hate you see when a person comes to christ their spiritual citizenship has changed the bible says we become a citizen of heaven so therefore we become like a foreigner on this earth on foreign soil and because we are somewhat different as the lord is changing our lives you now have a different value system you have a different perspective on things you have different priorities you have different morals a different way of living you have a different master and you have a different destiny But it's because you're different that that's actually what stimulates the dislike and the animosity and the anger because really we are foreign and we seem out of place in this world. We seem out of place. We feel out of place and that's because in some senses we are out of place. But this is also the reason for the hostility at times because our existence, honestly, it doesn't just contradict it actually, at a certain point, begins to interfere with the world system. And it begins to annoy them and to bother them because we are what stand in the way of what the world wants to do or advance. And that's the reason for the strong pushback because actually we irritate and annoy those who want to press things in a certain direction. And if we want to stand for anything moral or spiritual, that stands in the way. And so it causes this animosity and this hatred that Jesus speaks about beginning with him and translated now towards you and I as his followers. He goes on, verse 20, look at it to say, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus says, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep 
yours also. So Jesus shows here how we should never expect to have a superior standing or a superior experience than him, that we should anticipate instead sharing in exactly what he did in his life as a follower. Jesus begins by reminding them here of a principle. He's already stated it before. He says, remember that word that I said to you, and then the principle was this, a servant is not greater than his master. So a servant should never expect to have better treatment than a master. The servant understands. The master has higher status than me. I have a lower status. So a servant with a proper mindset would never think that they deserve an easier path than their master or a better experience or special privileges. A proper attitude of a servant would keep them from ever thinking they deserve better. In fact, a servant would, in a sense, look at their leader and think, if our leader has to take responsibility for something, then by all means, certainly we as servants should have to as well. Well, Jesus is now saying this in relationship to rejection or acceptance in the world. And he's reminding us here that we should anticipate sharing in the same experiences that Jesus himself did as his servants and as his followers, both negatively as well as positively that we're going to share in the same negative experiences jesus speaks of the negative experience in verse 20 by simply saying there in relation to mistreatment if they persecuted me he says they will persecute you also he says so he says you should anticipate this again the word persecution speaks of harassing someone in a manner to grieve or afflict or or cause suffering in their life because of mainly what they believe. And persecution, which is basically just a form of cruel mistreatment, uh, can come in various forms, can come in various measures. For example, persecution can happen by just verbal attack and verbal abuse. It can cause uh, you know, fear and intimidation towards someone that if you believe that, therefore they're going to intimidate those who believe such things to try and keep them from moving forward or believing those things. Sometimes persecution manifests itself in the form of perhaps causing circumstantial problems or doing things to harm someone's lifestyle, to destroy their possessions, you know, to burn their property down. It can come in the form even worse of physical torture and even murdering people and putting them to death. Persecution can happen in many different ways. And Jesus endured persecution to the greatest degree himself. And he said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. That this is going to be a part of the experience of representing Jesus. And he's warning the disciples now that they would see this in advance because it would soon begin to start happening more and more in their lives. Jesus had told them in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you when they persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Now, let me just say this as we talk about animosity towards Christians and persecution for following Jesus Christ. Please notice, Jesus is talking about persecution, but not persecution for being obnoxious. He's not talking about persecution against Christians who basically are acting obnoxious and rude spiritually. And I think we need to be wise because there are some, oh, I'm being persecuted. Well, right, because you're obnoxious. 
You're not walking in love and wisdom. You're being a rude, obnoxious, arrogant Christian. No wonder you're being persecuted. No wonder you're being mocked. You're actually causing more shame to Jesus. Jesus is talking about persecution, mistreatment, simply for just faithfully following Jesus and being unashamed to say, this is what I believe. And no, I, I, I believe that this is what's true. And I believe that that's actually a wrong behavior or a wrong lifestyle. And this is what my moral conviction... And actually just not being ashamed of who you are. And living out your faith for Christ. And being a, you know, someone who's not afraid to be bold and talk about what is good or godly or righteous. And as a result of that in your job place, in the world, in your family, experiencing then the, the persecution, the mockery, the mistreatment. Jesus, uh, Paul said this in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Notice, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. I bet that's the Bible promise that's on all of your placards in your house, right? I love that one. Yeah, put hang that on the wall, baby. Let's get that banner. You know, nobody likes that, but that's a Bible promise that if we live godly in Christ Jesus, we're going to suffer persecution. That always kind of sobers me once in a while because every once in a while I go, wait a minute. If if it seems like it's pretty easy flowing, maybe I'm not living very godly in Christ Jesus. If I'm not experiencing a little bit of tension once in a while, I have to wonder. Yes, I live for Christ, but am I living godly? In Christ Jesus? Or am I a chameleon Christian who, you know, when I'm among the believers, I blend, and then as soon as I get out in the world, I can, I can change colors, I can transform and be like all my friends and laugh at all the same joke and, and look no different than the world because I don't want to be persecuted. And he says, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So we share in mistreatment that Jesus experienced. But in the same manner, we also share in Jesus' life in a positive way. Because he says in verse 20 also, and if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So those who embraced Jesus' words and were open to him, he's saying they'll be open to you too. It's not all rejection. There are those who kept Jesus' words and listened to his teachings. And he says, those who are embracing me, they will, you'll find embrace you as well. I think the point Jesus is trying to make here in verse 20 is that receptivity to us is only due to our connection to Jesus and that other people want to receive Jesus. Here's the bottom line in this. When someone is receptive to us, they're really not impressed with us. Because we can err on the other side too and, and we start to think, man, they were pretty receptive when I talked about the Lord. It must be pretty good. No, they're, they're receptive to Jesus. It's because you're sharing the word of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord is working through your life and we need to keep humble attitudes in both sides of this and if someone is embracing or receiving us, Jesus said, uh, it's only because honestly they're receiving me and therefore that's why they're receptive to you. So we have to remain humble and realize it's, it's the Lord that people are responding to at times when they're being receptive to us on the other side of that. Verse 21, Jesus goes on to say, but all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. So he indicates here the reason his followers will suffer mistreatment is he says because those aggressors and those who would attack and assault you, he says, verbally, physically, he says, this happens because they do not know the one who sent me. Well, that's a reference to who? God. To God the Father. 
And Jesus here indicates the motivating reason behind hatred and persecution against Christians is because, he says, people do not know the one who sent me. The point he's trying to indicate here is such individuals have no true relationship with the living God because the living God would never do that to his people and to his followers. He's trying to indicate that the, the harm and the mistreatment of followers of Jesus happens because people who are doing it, they're just blinded. They're deceived. They're unaware spiritually as people are doing horrible things around this world even to this day to Christians. It's being done out of spiritual ignorance, out of deception, in some ways I believe out of satanic origin inspiring it to take place. Jesus goes on, verse 22, to say, and if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me, Jesus says, hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. So again, Jesus gives more indication that because his life, as he came, God in flesh, Jesus came as the revelation of God, revealing who God was, taking the form of man and taking flesh upon himself as God to reveal what God was like, and then spoke his powerful words and performed his powerful works. As the result of that, man now, Jesus says, became totally accountable. Man now has, in a sense, a reason to give answer for their sins. See, we need to think about this. Prior to Jesus' coming, He's indicating here men were practicing sin. They were involved in evil works and doing wrong things and they weren't being held to account for their error. So because of that, really, it gave them a sense of freedom to just continue in their wrongdoing, to continue to pursue their paths of darkness without really having, having to feel guilty about it because there was no standard to hold them accountable or make them feel answerable for any consequence. But then... Jesus came the light of God into a dark world and Jesus came revealing not only who God was as God clothed in human flesh but he began to reveal by his light and his life the will of God and the word of God and the ways of God in the clearest and fullest revelation that brought clarity of all that was accurate spiritual and moral that's why Jesus said in John 8 I am the light of the world whoever follows me that's pretty exclusive. Will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus spoke and showed what the kingdom of God was really about. What was accurate spiritually and morally. And he shared light for humanity, but that also exposed and revealed the sinful condition of humanity. That's why Jesus is saying here in our verses, if I had not come and spoken to them, that is spoken of truth, and sin and righteousness about heaven and hell. And he says, if I had not come and done among them the works that no one else did, proving that he was God. Jesus said, if I had not done those things, things would be different. But because I have, he says, verse 22, look at it. But he says, now they would, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. See, Jesus came and his life and words exposed sin and it brought guilt to the surface and brought conviction over wrongdoing. And the last time I checked in my own personal life and the last time I checked in the way people respond, human beings do not like to have their sin exposed. 
because now they know. And people, you know, the human conscience despises conviction. It despises a sense of guilt. That's why people use all the forms they do as coping mechanisms in this world, whether it's you know, d drinking alcohol or utilizing drugs to some extent or a relationship or a pursuit or a passion. It, these, are all, these are just all coping mechanisms because everybody's trying to subdue the guilt in themselves because they don't want to stare into the mirror and face the reality of their soul that we're all fallen fractured, sinful, failing people who've made mistakes and our conscience is an internal moral compass that says, yes, you're guilty too. You've done things wrong and you know you've done things wrong. And you're going to have to answer to your creator for that. You're going to have to stand before your creator one day and give account for that. And these realities are things that we wrestle with. And see, when Jesus came and lived out the standard of righteousness, he made man fully accountable now. Now there's no excuse anymore. There's no ability to be able to ignore. And human beings, I said, we don't like this because if a person wants to keep doing as they please, Jesus ruins their enjoyment of practicing sin. That's why they hate him. Because he's ruining their pursuit of what they want to do to live wrong that they know is wrong anyway. And people don't like to hear or know that they don't have any excuse before God one day. That angers people. This causes animosity in people because it angers them to hear that God's going to hold them accountable. That they're not their own God. That they're going to have to submit to someone. And, and this anger, and it causes a, a hatred and an agitation because Jesus' life is that standard People hate Jesus because he interferes with the whole sin pursuit in their life. And he takes away the excuses from them and says, listen, you need to repent of that and you need to receive my forgiveness for you. I died for that sin and I'm the only way that can be taken away, that guilt, and I'm the only way you can have access to be right with God and to enter heaven before you die. But if people want to keep in that darkness and that pursuit in their life, it angers them, it irritates them. It bothers them because, in a sense, it steals control from their life. So Jesus addresses here in these verses even where the hatred really is directed spiritually. He goes on to say, now they've seen the light. They hate me and the Father. But look at verse 23. You talk about direct. He says, he who hates me hates my Father also. I want you to take notice of this here. Jesus says, hatred for him is hatred for God. He says hatred for him, hatred towards Christianity, hatred towards Christians, according to Jesus, is someone having hatred for God. Always remember that as you experience things in this world and see intense hatred and mistreatment towards Jesus and you think, what is up? Why do people like go crazy when the name of Jesus gets brought into something? I mean, you know, I mean, we, why is that the one cuss word everybody uses? You know, why don't people hit their thumb, you know, with, with a hammer and go, Buddha, Buddha, Buddha. Oh, Muhammad, Muhammad, Muhammad. Right? P people, what, what is this? Th there's this anti-Christian sentiment and spirit that permeates the world. It permeates the world. Because it's the truth, it's the light. And darkness has such a resistance against that.
because of the standard that it sets up. And so Jesus says, verse 25, look what he says. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which was written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Again, think of it. The initial hatred that was launched towards Jesus, we read of it in the Gospels. We see it in the book of Acts. Do you ever notice it was always from the organized religious culture predominantly that that hatred came? And Jesus here cites how that hatred was a fulfillment of just what was predicted in Scripture. He quotes here a statement that's found in Psalm 35, Psalm 69, Psalm 109. The statement is this, they hated me without a cause. Now take notice here, the hatred of man for God generally and is more than that, the hatred towards Jesus specifically, the Bible says, has no good cause. It really doesn't even have a proper basis. It's unjustified. It's an unreasonable hatred. Jesus says they hated me without a cause. There wasn't even a good cause for it. It's an unreasonable, irrational hatred. And think of it. I mean, when you consider the goodness of God and how kind he is to humanity, when you consider the life of Jesus and the things that he did and the things that he does, it truly is unreasonable to hate the Lord. Why would someone hate someone like that? Well, why would someone have such animosity, yet strangely, without reasonable cause? Is it not true? People hate the Lord. They hate what he represents. And Jesus says it, it happened in fulfillment of the scripture. They would hate me without a cause. Now, I think we'd all agree it's hard when a follower of Jesus experiences the tension and the resistance and all those things in our lives. And sometimes it may prompt a believer to want to go silent in regards to the Lord in your life to minimize the tension and the resistance. Yet, thankfully, there is help that's provided for us. Jesus goes on to say in verse 25, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Now, Jesus has made mention a few times that in relation to his dying, raising from the dead and ascending back into heaven, that they were then, him and the Father, going to send the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to come and to become the helper for his followers. That everything that Jesus' presence and Jesus' help and ministry brought to them while he was living as a man on the earth, that now the Holy Spirit would come and he would be the helper to followers of Jesus. He would assist them in how to serve God and how to be empowered to live for the Lord and that he actually would come and dwell within us and be the internal helper living inside of us, the very spirit of the Lord himself dwelling within his followers. And Jesus here now makes mention in verse 26 of another, he's mentioned a few already, another ministry, another help of the Holy Spirit for you and I as the believer to empower us, particularly in relation to living godly in a hostile world. How do I keep living godly in a hostile world? Well, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come. He'll live within you. He'll empower you to testify of me. This is another ministry of the Spirit of God. Take notice. He points people to Jesus. This is what he wants to do in the world. This is what he wants to do in and through your life. To reveal Jesus to people, to show Jesus, to draw attention to Jesus, and to direct 
people to Jesus. Another clear ministry of the Spirit. Jesus said, the Spirit will testify of me. That's what he wants to do in our lives as believers, to testify of Jesus. This is what he wants to do among the church and in the world. And let me say this. This is a good thing to take notice of because Jesus is telling us clearly when the Spirit of God is at work, when the Spirit of God is moving in some way, He will always draw attention and focus to Jesus. Not to a man. Not to someone, wow, man, the Spirit's really moving. Isn't He an awesome communicator? He is hot. Man, he's, he's so good. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. When the Spirit of God is at work, people go, wow, isn't Jesus awesome? Man, I love the Lord. Wow, the Lord spoke to me and just I, I just I, I actually heard the Lord's voice speaking to me today. When the Spirit of God is at work, the Spirit of God testifies of Jesus. He puts people's attention on the Lord. He puts their focus on the Lord. That's good to remember, I think, and evaluate at times to try and discern what is of the Spirit and maybe sometimes what may not be of the Spirit or what may be of the human spirit and not the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will always point people to Jesus notice the overflow of the Spirit's work in the believer will come forth he says verse 27 and you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning the Holy Spirit's going to empower you and I to be witnesses to reach a hostile world Jesus will say this in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 great verse he says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses to Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to the ends of the earth Jesus says this is the plan the Spirit of God will come and he will come upon your life the third of three experiences with the Spirit, not just with a person, not just in a person, but coming upon a believer's life and the power and the baptism of the Spirit to empower us to be bold witnesses, to not be ashamed of Jesus, to not be afraid, to, to be willing to accept at times mockery or insult or lack of acceptance, to want to be a witness for Jesus and live for him in our little sphere of influence and to the ends of the earth where he may lead us. Well, there's no chapter breaks in the original scripture text, and that's why verse 1 to 4, I think, goes with this. Let's look at this as we conclude. Jesus then says, verse 1 of chapter 16, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. So notice, he didn't want them to be taken back by this. When the hatred and the mistreatment came and it was a hard experience, he didn't want his followers, the disciples, to be caught off guard. Why? So that they wouldn't start to think, wait a minute, something's going wrong. Why is it so hard to follow Jesus now? Well, why is it getting so difficult to live for the Lord? The reality is, it's always going to be hard to follow the Lord. It's always going to be hard to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm telling you it's going to be hard in advance because I don't want you to stumble when it starts to happen. Then he says this. Imagine hearing this. Truly, don't overlook it. Verse 2. He says, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. So Jesus warns the disciples that first of all, they would suffer great loss for following Jesus. And even some of them would actually be murdered 
for their faith and their faithfulness to follow Jesus. He says, first of all, they will put you out of the synagogue. That is, kicked out, excommunicated the Jews from the local synagogue. Now, now, please listen. We've talked about this before. We have to understand. For a Jew, connection to the local synagogue was not just about the building that you came to to worship once or twice a week. Synagogue, the synagogue life was really a whole culture and way of the Jewish life. It was where they held their school. It was where they educated their children. It was where business interactions and connections were made. It was, it was basically the hinge of everything in the Jewish society. So to be put out of the synagogue wasn't, oh, I just can't go to the building where everybody else worships. To be excommunicated from the synagogue by the religious leaders meant total rejection from the whole culture. It meant being treated as a reprobate in the society. You couldn't find work. People wouldn't want to partner with you. People wouldn't want to sell you food. They wouldn't want to interact with you. You couldn't obtain merchandise. You were treated like a lonely evil reprobate from all the community that you dwelt among. Imagine how difficult then it became, the struggle to survive without work and food and, and the society's interaction. Your status has been diminished in the culture. Imagine losing privileges in your society and struggling to survive just because you follow Christ. This is what it would be like. If that weren't bad enough, look what Jesus says in verse 2 at the end of it. He says, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And we know historically, you can research it, 10 of the 11 remaining disciples, Judas is gone at this point, 10 of the 11 remaining disciples were all martyred for their faith in Christ. That is, they were willing to be put to death to maintain their belief and commitment to Jesus. This to me testifies of the resurrection as well. That they knew that he didn't just die, but they knew he was alive. Because why would anyone not, if somebody's got the knife to my throat, I'm sorry, I'm not that brave. Okay, it's all a lie, it's all a lie, it's all a lie, just don't kill me. I have a wife, I have children. It's all a lie. We went and stole his body and made up the whole story about the resurrection. It just We, we made up the whole thing or he swooned and we played it off. And No, they believed this is a risen Savior who conquered death and is alive. So they said, my life does not matter. I have a living Savior. And there was this conviction in their hearts that they were actually willing to lose their lives. Think of this. Jesus says that people would begin to kill Christians. And this is what's staggering. Please don't miss. He says people would actually begin to kill Christians thinking, look what he says there, that they're rendering service to God. Rendering service to God. Today, listen, there are those doing this. There are those today who kill and murder Christians in our world and they actually feel that it's a service to God. Or let me say, to their God. A service to their God. This is where radical Islamic ideology comes from. It's a service to their God to kill these heathen Christian reprobates. It's a service to their God to kill and to murder Christians. Some of these terrorist groups, this is, this is something Jesus spoke of and it is just fulfilling itself now in our culture. It's permeating our world. We need to pray for and stand with people who are enduring these brutal things. 
predominantly in lands outside of our own, but yet are happening very much even in our current culture. Verse 3 and 4, Jesus concludes this section saying, These things they will do because they've not known the Father nor me. Repetitive, he says the same thing again. But these things I've told you, that when the time comes, you remember that I told you them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. So Jesus, notice, he restates what he's already said before as he's bringing this subject now of suffering to a close. He says, look, I didn't tell you these things at the beginning. I think he's wanting to say, because I didn't want to alarm you. I mean, imagine the beginning of three years. Listen, you want to follow me? And if you follow me, I mean, it might get a little rocky. Ultimately, somebody might just kill you. I mean, so he said, look, I was with you at the beginning. I didn't want to tell you this at the beginning. But he says, you believe me now, you're following me now, and you need to realize if you want to honor this commitment, this is what's on the horizon. It's going to get hard. It's going to get difficult, he's saying. And I think he told them this. He's saying, so when it comes to pass, and it would, that they would be able probably to process it easier because they knew it was something that was on the agenda that the Lord informed them was coming into lives. Perhaps that's the reason that they were able to stand so bold. I mean, you read Acts chapter 5, the early days of, of the church, and it tells us there that they called them in, and it says they beat them and commanded them to no longer speak in the name of Jesus, and it says that they rejoiced, that they were counted worthy to suffer for his sake, and they went right back out and continued to testify for the Lord. Wish I could say I was there. I can't tell you the last time I took a beating for Jesus and went right back out and just kept living for the Lord. What gave them this you know, ability? Perhaps it was because of the awareness that this is on the menu. This is part of what it's supposed to be. We're appointed to this. And, and the Spirit of God empowered them to do it. As Christians, listen, we should expect spiritual hostility and resistance in serving the Lord. We should expect it. It is a part of our calling to follow Jesus. We are not appointed to live a life of ease. We are appointed to live a life of effectiveness for the Lord. You know, perhaps some of us here this morning and maybe even we know others, sometimes people are wrongly advised or they just think, if I become a follower of Jesus, everything is going to get easy and everybody's going to like me. Some people almost present the gospel. It's not a real gospel in that way. If you follow Jesus, you can name it and claim it and have whatever you want and have all the faith. Listen, I hate to inform you if you haven't picked it up yet. It's actually the exact opposite. It's hard to follow Jesus. It's difficult to faithfully serve the Lord. And if you need approval and acceptance of others, you will never faithfully follow Jesus. You'll never faithfully follow the Lord because faithfully following Jesus draws us into a current of hatred that this world has towards him. And unlike many other countries, let's be very honest, ladies and gentlemen, in comparison to other places in this world, the persecution, the mistreatment for following Christ in our American culture, praise the Lord for that. I appreciate his kindness to us. We suffer very little in comparison to others. However, to whatever extent we do suffer, and we may, let us be prepared and recognize it may only intensify. It may only intensify, but may we, by the power of the Spirit of God, stand boldly for Jesus, knowing we're called to suffer for one who suffered way more drastically than us. 
And may we resolve in our hearts not to seek a life of ease. I want to rock the boat. I just want a life of ease. I just want to sing worship songs and get raptured and go to heaven. May we instead say, no, Lord, I want to have a life of effectiveness for you. Because everybody's not going to like you anyway. Let them not like you for the right reasons. And this is why we need to love one another because there may come a time where this is the only place whether you like one another or not you can find acceptance and encouragement and love. Amen? Let's stand together.